Voice Live from CES is an official event within the greater CES program, where the world's top brand leaders will share insights about how they are engaging customers through voice-enabled devices in our homes, cars, hotels, and more. To learn more about how you can be a sponsor, speaker, or attend Voice Live from CES, visit voicesummit.ai slash CES. That's voicesummit.ai slash CES. Today, you'll hear James Poulter, the CEO, and Jennifer Heap, the CCO of Vixen Labs, Susie Cooper, voice content strategist for Vixen Labs, Tom Hewitson, the CEO of LabWorks.io, and Scott and Susan Westwater, the co-founders of Pragmatic Digital, have a roundtable discussion about voice marketing. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Inside Voice. I am your co-host, James Holter. Thanks to Kerry for pulling all of this together. And we've got an amazing panel discussion uh, for you this afternoon, which is uh, quite different from our usual, because I have all of my participants in a room (laughs) uh, here at Vixen Labs HQ in central London, and uh, with people from around the city and around the world all in one place, which is rather unique. So I'll um, let them introduce themselves to you. But uh, first of all, I will pass the mic uh, to my left to Suze Cooper, who is... Uh, you might know from such events recently as uh, the World of Flash Briefings, which she has been doing with uh, Bradley Metrock and the team. Uh, but Suze, why don't you just tell us a little bit about who you are? Uh, I'm Suze Cooper. And uh, yeah, I create the uh, Social Days Flash Briefing. And I'm also a voice content strategist here at Vixen Labs. Hi, um, and uh, this is Jen Heap. I'm the CCO and co-founder of Vixen Labs with our wonderful host, uh, James Poulter. Hi, everyone. I'm Scott Westwater. I'm co-founder and lead strategist for Pragmatic Digital. Hello, I'm Tom Hewitson. I'm the founder of Labworks.io, Europe's leading voice game studio and probably one of the larger indie developers on Alexa. Hi, I'm Susan Westwater. I am CEO and co-founder of Pragmatic Digital. Okay, so we have one, you might have noticed one husband and wife team and one work husband and wife team on this podcast. Uh, so Jen and I will uh, basically talk over one another every now and again. So just be, bear that in mind, listeners. Uh, for those of you who listen to the show regularly, you'll know that one of the hot topics that we have been discussing both the, this year at Voice Summit and continually in the community is the world of voice marketing. And well, I suppose the question is, well, what do you mean by voice marketing? Uh, we know that we've got a real problem with discoverability in many cases out there in the marketplace, whether you're trying to market a voice-first business, um, we can get into what we mean by that, as well as also marketing skills and actions across the various different stores. And we've got some of the, the bigger skill manufacturers in the room uh, in, the, in the work that Tom and the team have been doing over at Labworks. So he's definitely got some perspective to share there. But what we want to get into on today's show is really what do we mean by voice marketing? What are some of the pitfalls? What are the things we need to be looking out for? And if you're just getting started in this space, what you should you be trying to do to actually get people to pay attention to what you're doing in voice? So, Susan, maybe I'll just uh, pass the, the bat on to you to begin with. Um, when you guys are talking to your clients at Pragmatic, um, predominantly you work with people across the US, um, and you know, that market is obviously a little bit further along. Do you think people have woken up to what they mean by voice marketing? And what do you guys tell them when they get started there? Um, I think there's still a lot of education um, and I think when when we are talking about voice marketing, it starts on the premise of if you build it, they won't come. And so it's very important for them to understand that when you are building 
any type of voice experience, if you want it to get um, traction, it's got to have a launch plan and a support plan with it. And that's where then we look at paid, owned, earned plans and, th and things along those lines of that's what we're talking about from voice marketing as opposed to using marketing uh, or voice to do marketing. Yeah, I think there's too much of uh, reliability on once I've made this thing, it's going onto the platform and the platform will therefore enable it to be discovered. And actually, I think a lot of us as creators have found that that's just not the case. Certainly, you know, um, speaking from the experience of trying to market the flash briefing that I put together, you're putting a lot of effort daily into that. There's a lot of research into that. You know, businesses are going to be putting a lot of investment into these skills and the things that they're creating for voice. Um, but there's really no guarantee that once that's uploaded and out there and in the skills store that it's going to get found. So I think you really do have to think very much from the outset about how you're going to get out there the fact that you've created this thing. If you're going to go to all the effort of of putting it all together or, you know, you're going to be paying someone a lot of money and in investing a lot in it, then you need to make sure that people are going to be able to find it. Um, and a lot of that onus at the moment, I think, is is going to be on you to do that. One of the other things that we talk about with our clients is if you were around during the early days of mobile, this is iOS and Android App Store all over again. And so you remember back in those days, we were spinning up landing pages with explainer videos and talking about this is why you need this new app. It's really the same thing here. We just need to use all the different methods that we've used traditionally to try to drive as much traffic so we can get the right people using our experiences. Okay, so we've got potentially that they need to understand it better, uh, potentially that they need to drive more money to it. And, and Suze, you picked up on this point that there's been a lot of over-reliance in some cases on the platforms doing the work for them. I think everyone is going after that holy grail of being the you know weekly recommendation from Alexa or maybe getting themselves into some kind of Google advert at some point or other. Uh, now, Tom, you guys have had a number of projects that have launched. And I think you've know, had a couple of features along the way there in those uh, those haloed places of the newsletters. Um, how, how important has that type of thing been to getting real traction for some of the projects that you guys have worked on over the past couple of years? Uh, yeah, I'm going to have a slightly controversial point of view. I'd say that getting that platform promotion is almost essential to seeing meaningful success on the platform. Um, and Honestly, we don't think that much about marketing. We think a lot about product and we focus very, very hard on innovating and building sticky products that use the features that the platforms are launching uh, to try and kind of capture those haloed spots, as, as you mentioned. Um I'm not certain that it's sustainable for everyone, but in the world of voice games, which is perhaps slightly different than the world that kind of most people listening to this podcast might be in, it does kind of work as a strategy. Uh, whereas for us, something like pay-per-click advertising would never work. You know, just the kind of the conversion funnels would never make sense for a free-to-play game. Just but if people don't know um, what Labworks has produced, because obviously you guys don't necessarily promote yourselves as a, as a uh, company in that way, but the, the products many people may know, just give us a flavor of some of the things that you guys produce. Yeah, sure. So if you've uh, ever played a game on Alexa, there's a reasonable chance that you might have played one of ours. We made Would You Rather, uh, True or False, Trivia Hero, Star Commander, Daily Quiz. Uh, I mean, you know, I, could, I can list off loads. Like, um, And I think one of the things that's also 
probably quite unusual about us is that we support every language that Alexa supports and we're in every locale that Alexa supports and we're one of the major developers in pretty much every locale. Um, so we have a lot of experience with the kind of the trials and tribulations of creating a cross-cultural, cross-language products uh, and how to kind of get people to discover them and use them uh, in other vicinities as well as our home market. So can I ask you, um, Tom, do you really think that it's about showing that you're using the, the length and breadth of the platform that therefore gets those amazing spots and gets it noticed and therefore gets it pushed up into these positions, you know, skill of the day, all that kind of thing, which is something that you 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 kind of have to put all that work in and all that effort to use the platform as much as you possibly can to get picked out to be put in the spot to get the benefits of that is that how you found it uh i mean it's not a guarantee but i i i mean i'd be surprised if it didn't help actually if you think about it um i mean the reality is that what the platforms look at is engagement, you know, how much are people coming back to your skills and actions? And also, I suspect how your kind of conversion rates for in-app revenues, you know, the main way that they're trying to get money off of Alexa is through taking a 30% cut on the in-app revenues. It's not surprising that highly converting skills might be getting additional pushes. That makes a lot of sense. I think you know it's obviously a different model when you're talking about pushing your own voice products. Now, obviously, for the people that we work with from a client perspective uh, here at Vixen or you know at Pragmatic, it's a different story. So, Jen, just maybe tell us a little bit about some of the things that if people are starting down this road, um, they might want to think about, particularly if they're brand owners or they're getting into it for the first time. What are the some of the things that you know we've been seeing coming up regularly with them? Um, I think it's all. I mean, there is. Um a huge education piece in terms of, so people know that games exist on Alexa. That's probably one of the only things that people are comfortable with. They well know, done, Tom. Yeah, well done, Tom. And they know that they can do that. It's one of the, like, the, the first examples of things that, uh, um, like Magic Door and things like that, that was one of the first things that are out there and they had huge success and people feel comfortable playing games on Alexa. It's safe territory, right? If you're looking at um, brand experiences, whether or not that's um, very overtly brand experiences or more sort of like um, low key or sort of like back foot brand experiences, people aren't going to know that they're out there. And I think that's where there's this kind of slightly different approach. I, I'm i not a game developer, but I totally can see and, un, and actually agree with Tom's point. I think for brand, it's like a twofold thing. First of all, it's saying, oh, by the way, we are on Alexa. Cool. Just so you know, full stop. And then the second thing is saying, oh, and by the way, our presence, our skill, our flash briefing, whatever it might be, does these things. Oh, and by the way, some of these things might be things you've never done with Alexa because you might be that segment of uh, segmentation of the population who are just turning lights on and off, playing some games, setting timers, and are just sort of like kind of, you know, just feeling their way out, what they're comfortable with and what they're not. And, you know, for a brand experience that might be just um, kind of um, content information that might not be so much of an education on how to use it. Um, it's got to your point before, you know, on the more complicated app builds back in the day, you know, we had explainers of what it was and how you could use it and what it does. And I think that's an important part. So I think understanding 
what it is your skill is doing, what is the use case for it? So what is actually going to be the applicable scenario for that audience so that they can relate and go, oh, this is a thing I get my kids to do when they're brushing their teeth. This is a thing I do when I'm wanting to relax and go to bed. This is a thing when I'm cooking, you know, get them to attach to that situation as opposed to a game. They're like, I'm going to play a game when I want to play a game and be entertained. Like you already know that use case. And I think what you're saying there as well is that it's making sure that these, um, you know, that the app marketing you're doing is contextual, right? It's, you know, it's fitting into these habits and routines and rhythms each day, which is the thing that makes a, a big difference. I don't know, you know, Tom, you guys have got games that maybe have got some repeat playability, but are you seeing that that's one of the ways of actually getting people to stick with them? Uh, yeah, that's that's definitely the case. So one, one thing I wanted to bring up though is, um, you know, when we do our kind of real top of the funnel uh, user research a large percentage of users, you know, more than a third getting on towards a half don't know that you can play games on Alexa. Uh, and this is oh, one, wow, of, okay. yeah, <laughs> one of the kind of the, you know, the best known categories. Um, a lot of users just don't understand uh, that you can do anything other than listen to music and set a timer on the device. So it's not a kind of you like unique to brand experiences problem. A lot of smart speaker owners don't realize that there are apps on them at all or how to invoke them. Um, and I think that is a big challenge for everyone, including the kind of independent developers like ourselves. Susan, I want to ask you this question, and maybe it's maybe it's slightly leading. But how much of this is a problem of just people not understanding the lexicon of this platform? The idea of we talk about Alexa skills, we talk about Google Actions, but actually, if we were just to say the word apps, would they get it better? <laughs> I often wonder if this is a problem. And you know, I don't know, only because um, I think we we when we explain it to the business community. And in, in non-marketers, we do then say, this is a voice app, but then we do have to start picking platforms and that's where then we have to help them understand it. I think um, one of the other differences is the sustained support because when we talk with our clients, we want them to do useful and usable skills. Like it's, it's all well and good to have a fart skill. Um, it's fun, it's novel, but if we're trying to solve problems with a skill, um, that need that they have may not be the day that uh, if we even were to get that placement in the newsletter, that would be helpful. It's good that it gets that. And so we have to be where our audiences are. And one of the places we, you know, might be our website, might even be the 1-800 number. So we just have to kind of canvas where they're at. And one of the, the and I major air quotes of easier is where, where is my audience and helping them understand that. And then it sort of falls away of it's an, it's a skill. If it's on, on your Alexa, it's an action. If it's on your Google and kind of going that way of, you can go interact with it that way. Um, rather than saying it's, you know, voice app, I think then is a whole nother definition. And, and that's why I think when I might've alluded to it before, and you've definitely built on that, that when we're talking about the marketing afterwards, it's all intrinsically linked to the bit you do before yeah. as well. It's it's all part of one kind of one hand feeding the other. It's about, you know, like when Tom's talking about like, okay, so hang on. If people don't even know what type of 
the fact that game skills exist, what onboarding needs to happen to the build of that skill and then where you may or may not market it afterwards. Similarly to, you know, if it's for a really, really niche use case, which some of the best skills do, they're not necessarily having huge, huge numbers. It's not about being the number one skill. It might just serve one thing really well, in which case you need to have really targeted, I'm going to say awareness. I'm even going to take the marketing word out because maybe that's better. Maybe it's having a uh, you know a call out on a print ad through direct mail you know maybe it's that unsexy but if it's solving that one tiny thing then it's actually already a success so it's this continued loop i think that's so important and it's and then it goes into the production and the design of the product itself because it is product yeah, I suppose that we can get people into these for the first time, but then there's also we've often talked about on the show and yeah, with all of you in, in different conversations around recall and getting people back to these things. And I think that that is also a big challenge, right? So the marketing thing is not just about getting people there once, but it's getting them back again. Susie, we've been talking about this a lot in the area of particularly things like flash briefings, getting people to add content to their rundown every day, getting people to know what those things are. What are some of the, the tactics and tricks that you've been bringing to bear both in your own shows and the ones that you've been working on here to kind of get people people thinking about how to how to get people back well certainly um kind of with the flash briefing it's got a great potential for a call to action on it um so but that call to action needs to be very straightforward and simple you know you're, you're asking a lot of somebody that they've enabled your flash briefing they've put it into their routine that they then listen to it every day the next thing you're then asking them to do with the call to action is probably to go away somewhere else maybe to your website they've got to then remember what that web address is they've got to go and actually act on that and sign up perhaps or do whatever it is you're asking them to do so anything that you add to that call to action really does need to be quite simple and straightforward um, without too many hoops to kind of jump through um, I think the other thing is to remember, I mean, certainly in terms of a flash briefing, it's audio content and you've got that audio there and you should maximize that um, wherever you can and however you can. Certainly social media is a fantastic way of taking that audio um, and creating it as an audiogram, which is one of those, um, you might have seen them on, on your timeline on Twitter. They've got kind of usually a static image behind them, but a moving waveform that kind of oscillates with the in time with the audio that's playing behind it. It needs to only be a really short clip, probably no more than 30 seconds, I'd say would be quite long sometimes. Um, add some subtitles to it so those who are scrolling on the train and don't have their sound on can still see what's being said. Uh, brand it up, add your branding and your colours and, and everything else to it. And, and you've got a nice piece of content there that you can use across the board um, to draw people into what you've created um, that they can hear via the smart speaker. And I think what you're saying there is a large part of that is about making sure that you're seeing it as part of the overall ecosystem, right? It's the audio content you've created can live in multiple places. The, the direction you're giving them can live in multiple places. So, you know, perhaps Scott and, and you know, guys, how, how are you thinking about kind of adding voice to the ecosystem? Maybe this is the bigger conversation that everyone needs to get into. A big part of what we try to figure out in the initial discovery is what is the audience trying to achieve? What problems do they have to solve? And then what business objectives can we also solve with voice? And so this is very much product-focused design thinking, uh, very UX-focused. But we really find if you're going to create something that's sticky and useful, especially outside of games, you need to actually you know, meet both constituents' uh, needs. So once we do that, we kind of say, what content do we have and what can be repurposed or optimized for the new channel? But really, at the end of the day, it's all about what does the audience need out of this? So if you're 
brand X, what information can you provide that's super helpful on behalf of the brand? So you actually get brand affinity um, by providing that service. So I think it is very much a part of the ecosystem, and that's how we approach it. Um, versus it being a siloed experience where you have one-offs here, it sounds and feels different. Uh, Susan loves to say that a user doesn't care if it's your website experience or your audio experience or whatever. They expect the same thing. And so this is a great way to create that consistency across your entire ecosystem. Well, so we're thinking a lot here about voice marketing and and obviously you know, that might be a voice as part of marketing. <laughs> but what we also see is that you know, people are using their voices to you know, kind of interact with other types of marketing all over the place, whether that's voice you know, on the website, whether that's voice search. And obviously search itself is one of the big um, questions here that comes up a lot in this conversation, particularly when we speak to marketers at Vixen is, well, how can I make sure that like people are searching for my thing, um, whether that's using a smart speaker or just using their voice on Google? And that, that's, you know, it seems to be the kind of the hallowed subject that everyone is getting after. Susan, as you guys are talking to clients, has anyone cracked this yet? Do you think you guys have cracked this with, with voice search? Are people actually, you know, can, is there a concrete path to Make you know, say these magic words, and someone will find your voice website or you know, invocation that works for you. And that's a wonderfully loaded question. Um, I think one of the things that's really difficult right now is um, it's hard to say because of measurement. Like right now, if you're looking at your GA search, it comes through as direct. Um, so you have to have things set up right. So it's hard to tell who is winning. Um, I think the what I'm. I, I think for lack of a better word, enjoying is that all of those um, teams that thought about putting together a website that works well with a screen reader and thought about accessibility are now getting a sort of a, a nice karmic push of, hey, you did this right and therefore you're getting to be found. Um, so then I think what we've been doing and I think the stat is about one third of all websites have been optimized that way is going back and then saying, all right, if you can't start to develop that voice experience. Let's start talking about snippets. Let's start talking about optimization of the content you have. Again, this is working, not recreating in a complete wheel, but going through and then figuring out how do we snippet that out. Now, I can tell you that that's making things better, but as far as testing is concerned and getting it, sometimes it's a matter of actually doing in the field testing of everyone asks this question off of your own device at home, not off my account. Tell me what you're getting and then working with that. And that sort of shows you the early, early days we live in. Um, but then at the same time, we know that it's working because it's starting to show up on the uh, on the meter. What's really interesting is that, you know, you have the Alexa web, then you have the voice web, then you have the web web. And um, figuring out how to get that to work is making sure that you're in that, that, that secondary ring because not everyone, you know, it's just not feasible to think oh, I'm going to get in the Alexa web. So it is thinking about how do I create those experiences? How do I optimize my content? So it's showing up ahead of that. Um, the one nice opportunity is if you haven't sorted your social world, you haven't sorted your web world, you have an opportunity now to kind of make good for that you with with a web with a good voice experience so for the people that ignored alt tags for a long time they're finally going to get their comeuppance right? yes absolutely i was right now <laughs> and the silver bullet is really seo best practices so it's getting back to adhering to what we know works on the web because we know google assistant is actually pulling stuff from the uh the knowledge graph. We know that there's certain places that information is coming from. So if nothing else, optimizing for long tail phrases uh, versus keywords 
is an absolute must. It's not even a nice to have. It's a requirement now. And doing all of the best practices from not only front-end SEO, but back-end SEO um, will really help your general web content start to be surfaced on these platforms as well. So what I want to do is I begin to look forward um, because yeah, it's not going to stay this way forever. <laughs> well, or at least we really hope not. Um, and discoverability is, yeah, as we start the conversation, around <clears throat> one of the big issues. Um, and we're seeing some first fruits of where that might head. So obviously, um, multimodal devices coming in and voice first, you know, kind of voice first is the way of interacting, but not only voice back is potentially a, an opportunity here. Now we've seen things like, obviously, in school recommendations and reviews and things like that already beginning to happen. But as screens become part of the mix, particularly for the smart speaker market, um, there potentially lies there some opportunities for for more marketing of skills on platform as well as off platform and i just wonder perhaps how we might see this kind of going forward what's the opportunity lies there in terms of the visual aesthetic of some of these applications yeah is this something that people are actually going to start paying attention to because i don't know about you but i when i look in the skill store today um most of the the graphical elements that go with me these things are rudimentary at best <laughs> it looks like mo most people uh, most people haven't been near at least you know photoshop let alone like even canva in some cases so yeah what, what do we Kind of think of the opportunity and, and tom i want to start with you perhaps on this one because um games is often you know thing i thought of as a very visual category um how much do you guys think about the kind of the visual aesthetic of, of what you guys are building for a voice first world and, and how much do you think that might change as we head into the rest of next year oh man uh i think i'm gonna get myself in trouble with this one uh -oh. <laughs> that was why i asked uh, yeah so Nobody is denying that multimodal is great. And, you know, I certainly wouldn't want to say that there are some really great things you can do in terms of uh, helping the user to error handle, uh, produce a better experience, a more engaging experience. Um, the problem with multimodal is that it's like twice as much work to make a multimodal skill as it is to make a normal one. Um, I mean, the reason you don't see much out there that's good is because it takes a lot of investment to make a good multimodal skill. And, you know, our data says less than 10% of users has a multimodal device. It's very hard to justify the amount of effort and work required to do it. Um, unfortunately, you know, when I kind of think about the future, um, you know, I really hope that multimodal will be a bigger part of things. And I certainly think in the gaming space, um, the TV seems like a really kind of interesting space and playing voice games with your TV um, for kind of brands that are maybe trying to provide more of a utility play uh, to their customers. So wanting to be the kind of response for how do I make chicken soup or whatever, you know, I don't know whether, whether you can really justify that, um, at the moment, but you know, if, if you've got the resources on hand to do it, why not? Jem, what what do we think for multimodal? We've talked a lot with clients recently. I know about the 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 strength of opportunity that lies there, but also the massive pain of you're optimizing even for multiple screen sizes and non dynamic content forms. Do you hold out much hope for where that's going? Oh, the screen sizes, yeah. Um, and they just thrown in a few more devices as well, just when we thought we were going to sort of getting it locked down. I think it's. It's a really tough one because to Tom's point, yeah, it's a hell of a lot more work, like a lot more work, especially if you're going to start putting like touch wrappers in and really making APL what it can be. I'm obviously just talking in Alexa terms here, but like, like really actually... <laughs> 
For those that didn't Sorry, Tom. catch that on mic, that was a laugh, I think, at what APL can be. So apologies for that. <laughs> Tom seems to be like sitting on his fingers right now. <laughs> bite, bite your tongue. Carry on. Um, or just like really, really doing something that's fully integrated and not just sort of like static images on screen. Um, it is a lot of work. But I mean, what we've seen and also not everybody has, you know, screen based devices. That's also a really, really valid point. So you've got that sort of thing to weigh up. But if anyone does have a screen-based device and that skill doesn't have any visual representation, they are radically disappointed. So it's like, who do you play to? Do you play to the smaller amount of people who have screen-based devices? Now, let's wait until we get through Black Friday and Christmas this year, because I think that's going to really change. And I think people are going to start also like, um, you know, certainly it's happened in my family, people upgrading their devices. So started off with a dot, go like, oh, actually, there's quite a few things on here now. Let's go up and maybe get the five, for example. And also it's less ugly. Um, and um, and also, um, you know, do we then sort of, do you play to that small proportion of people who do have screen devices, but it will make them really, really happy and the affinity and the reviews are going to be make a real difference? Or do you go, do you not bother with that because of the expenditure and because of the effort and you only go voice only? Mm. And I suppose we'd also expect that those that do have those screen devices are potentially spending more money, potentially the earlier adopter and potentially the influencer in this market. So is, is that who you guys and are And is this the way we're going anyway? Yeah. So, is that who you guys well, are trying to play up to? I think, well, I point, I think Tom had it right. Um, here's what my users are doing. And my users are going to help me sort that. So as I start to figure that out and I figure out, is this a niche skill or is this a, an experience that requires that starting from there? I think we like to think of voice first as customer first and therefore their needs. And we go for the lowest common denominator. So that would be voice only. And it's also, quite frankly, in some spots the hardest and then progressively adapt it and enhance it so that depending on whatever channel they go to next, because some will go to, as Suze was talking about, a website, or they might go to another channel, making sure that that we've got the consistency across all of those experiences and answering that, which again, resources, um, and then figuring out, okay, how do I, for that, if I'm taking that step towards multimodal, does that make sense contextually? Because um, I, where are they using it? Do I know these things based off what they're... And then adding in and seeing what that level of, of should be. Now, to, to your point, um, Jen, it needs to have something. But what that something is, is where we start. And then do we then, again, enhance when it starts to make sense? Um, because it is an investment. Tom, where does, where does this apply to you guys? Yeah, so um, so I can kind of share like what we do. Uh depending on kind of you know the skill and the ease ease of doing every skill has a multimodal experience of some sort because as jen rightly points out to, for the kind of the you know whatever percentage of users that do have a screen to get that kind of blank holding screen uh, is a really disappointing experience now i mean Arguably, the platform could do a much better job of uh, what the user is shown in that case, um, but it doesn't. Um, so, you know, it is perfectly reasonable to have a nice kind of splash screen or whatever. And then, you know, maybe in kind of core parts of the interaction where you feel like multimodal might add something, adding a little bit more here or there, adding a little bit of guidance. There are simple things that you can do. Um, 
you know, adding a little bit of like help text to the screen or something to kind of provide a bit more guidance to use. And none of that is particularly expensive. Um, and that that's the kind of thing that, you know, I'd highly recommend. Um, I guess my, my issue or what I'm saying kind of maybe pertains a bit more to like the world of games where you need to think about like animation and high quality visuals and the kinds of things that get very expensive very fast. Yeah, meeting user expectation is, is a large part of that. Scott, why don't you round us out on this? Well, and so it, it's like mobile and you had iOS and Android. The problem with where we're at current day is you've got Alexa, you've got your actions, you've got Bixby capsules, maybe Siri something someday. And so the challenge that we're having is everyone has to create in these different environments. So not only is it expensive to do a single platform, then you start looking at multi-platform and that's just a nightmare. So there is some level of need for some common, almost like HTML style Um, markup language where we can start to create these experiences that work cross-platform. And that's a whole other conversation, but I think that's where we'll probably head over the next few Mm. years. Well, so Google, if you're listening, Interactive Canvas can't come quickly enough, I think, if if that's promised. Okay, um, I want to round out this conversation by, as I say, um, kind of wrapping as we look to the future. Now, we were talking about kind of marketing, so I want to go around the table and just kind of get everybody's kind of final thoughts here on, if if you're starting a voice project tomorrow uh, or next week or trying to think about this for 2020 as part of your strategy, maybe like what's the one piece of advice you would give to somebody um, when it comes to thinking about marketing that project um, in in any aspect? Um, so I'm going to unfortunately pick on Suze because she's right next to me and go go there. But maybe let's go around the table get some get some perspectives here. What one liners? Think about your marketing at the same time as you're thinking about what you're going to be doing. Think about it from the start. Don't have it as an add on. Concise like that, Jen. Yeah, I actually agree. Think about the end at the beginning and the beginning at the end. So um, now, hmm. that's not to say that a product definition can't shift and evolve during creation. That's a separate thing. But then even if that has happened, when you're coming to the point of marketing, don't just suddenly go like, oh, cool, this blue thing can now be red because that's cool and, you know, tack on to something that's happening on social media right now. It's like, no, if you made something with a very specific need and use, keep to that even if that's been tweaked along the process, but you had a rationale for making those decisions, right? So stick to it and just keep that in mind. Remember, and I think sometimes when we're talking about marketing and ecosystems and digital, we forget that in my mind, at least, we're making products. And I think a hell of a lot can be learned from product design thinking product iteration and product launches. So yeah, I think we need to be wary of that a little bit. Yeah. And from my perspective, it's in 2020, set aside the investment to actually do something. And so we're still early on, but your window for opportunity to experiment and have users, you know, be okay with some missteps, that window is starting to rapidly close. So if you don't currently have plans to invest, put aside the funds to not only create these experiences, but then also promote it so that more people can actually experience it. Tom? Uh, Realize that voice is a pull experience. If you are creating something that users aren't asking for, it is never going to get discovered no matter how much marketing you do. You have to build something that people are asking their assistant for. And 
it is worth taking the time to consider that properly rather than just trying to reuse an asset that you already have. Great. Susan? And you kind of stole mine. I'm joking. <laughs> no, I, I kid, no, um, no, but I think it comes back down to why are you doing this? And if you're just doing it to tick a PR box or to, oh, someone just asked for a voicing and slapping it up there, you're going to get that same, probably that amount of return on thought. Um, so it's important to think about what it is the user is asking for and if that demands there. And if it also makes sense with your entire brand, because it voice is not a silo. Um, even though that puck sits quietly in a living room or, a, you know, in, in your kitchen, it's still part of an entire brand experience. Um, the minute your brand gets invoked. So think about that as well of how it all relates together, because if it doesn't feel like the brand and it doesn't solve a need that your brand should be solving, it's going to feel odd and it's not going to help you at all. That's great. Well, there you go. Some great advice from uh, leading marketers and creators around the table. And if you are a fellow marketer and want to come and join us for this discussion uh, further, you can do that by coming up to our upcoming event at CES. Uh, so we've got on the 8th of January, we are running a one-day conference at the ARIA Ballroom uh, for those marketers, VP level and above people who are managing brands, managing this issue of what they're going to do in voice marketing in 2020. So that's the place to be. So if you've got your CES tickets, come out and spend a day with us uh, or come and join us at one of the upcoming meetups here in London or the US and you'll find out all of the information about that over at voicesummit.ai. For now, I want to thank our guests, uh, Susan and Scott Westwater from Pragmatic Digital, Tom Hewitson from Labworks and uh, Jen and Suze from uh, my fellow colleagues here at Vixen. Thanks so much for listening. I'll hand it back to Kerry as we wrap up this episode of Inside Voice. Thank you for listening to the Inside Voice podcast. We greatly appreciate you being a part of our community. And if you enjoyed this episode or you like the podcast, we would love it if you would subscribe, follow, like, share, leave a review of the show. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, people you want to see on the show, things you want to learn, feel free to send us an email at kerry at modev.com. That's K-E-R-I at modev.com. And be sure to check us out online at voicesummit.ai. Thank you. And we look forward to chatting with you next week.